Warning, the following program contains subject matter not suitable for a younger audience. It contains offensive language and opinions. Stop it! You're acting like a child! Greetings, ghouls. It's time to discuss, disgust, and dissect. And now, introducing our hosts, the gruesome twosome, Mike and Jeremy. We are friends of the dead. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Welcome to Fans of the Dead. I'm Mike. I'm Jeremy. How you doing, bro? Doing good. Really excited. We have a special episode today. Yes. Today we're going to be featuring special guest Ian Champion from the upcoming Sacrilege horror film. Ian Champion is an actor, author, and horror enthusiast. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so this movie, Sacrilege, it comes out March 6th, 2020, and he plays Father Saxon, the evil cult leader. Now, March 6th in the UK, hopefully sometime soon after that here in the States. Yes. Um, David Creed is the uh, writer and director of this movie. This is actually his first film. Uh, this is brought to you by Bad Blood, uh, the production company. Um, executive producer Mark Kenna, who I believe um, he told us is basically kind of like the brain, like his idea of the movie. And the idea is basically, which is also they're using it for marketing right now, Face your fear. So sacrilege. The violation or misuse of what is regarded as sacred. An object, site, or person. So it was mostly used in Roman times. It meant basically plundering like temples and graves and stuff. Right. Or pissing on a sacred fallen tree. Yes. Yeah. You haven't seen the movie, so you don't get the reference. But anyone out there that is wearing a bear suit knows what I mean. <laughs> Four lifelong friends head to a remote lodge for a weekend of fun. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly descends into a fight for their lives when a local pagan cult offer them up to their goddess as a sacrifice for the solstice. Without further ado, we welcome the man himself, Father Saxon, evil cult leader Ian Champion. How are you today? Very good, very good. How are you? Excellent. So, obviously, first, we want to thank you for um, coming on the podcast. Chatting you're with welcome. us. No, you're welcome. I, I gather you guys are quite new to this, aren't you, as well? Yeah, we are. So Since November, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So please, <laughs> well, bear with us. You know, we're um, a little bit nervous, but... Um, well, it's the same for me. This is, this is the first uh, horror movie I've done that I've uh, been able to really promote. Um, so it's lovely for me. I'm, I've got back into the sort of scene of, of um, uh, the social media side of it only very recently as well through, through the likes of Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, in a way, new for, for me as well. This is the, this is the first uh, podcast that, that I've done, so that's yeah, great. Well, look, I mean, it looks like you're a big... Um, I've, I've read a few of your, um, your horror blogs. It seems like you're a big oh, fan yeah. of the genre. 
Yeah, it's, it's been my favourite genre ever since I was a, a kid. Oh. I mean, there's a, you know, we have a lot of horror fans over in, in Britain. And I'm, I'm, when I grew up, when I, when I was a kid, in fact, uh, it's going to sound really primitive to, to, uh, to you guys, but we only had three TV channels in Britain, like in the late 70s. And so um, if you were a, a fan of horror films, BBC Two used to show uh, every Saturday night summertime you'd have a double bill where you'd have you'd start off with a, one of the old black and white universal films then there'd be a news break and then you'd have one of the color kind of hammer films so for people like myself that's how we first got our fix of horror movies uh, obviously this is in a day before of course video existed so you, know, you had to catch the films while they were there there was no way you're going to ever going to own a copy of them at, at that point and uh, so i think a lot of horror fans like myself in my sort of age range that's what they remember that's the first time they got into the uh, into the scene as it was through, um, through through seeing it seeing the movies on tv like that mm. oh, right yeah that's kind of how we got into horror too before cable we basically had five channels i think and one of them during uh, the afternoon on Saturday would play back-to-back -back horror movies. So uh, uh -huh. noticed a lot of old-school horror movies on your blog. What's your favorite horror movie? Oh, my goodness. Uh, if I had to pick an absolute favorite of all, it would be The Exorcist. Okay. Which is a fairly modern one. But, yeah, when you say that the blog, you're talking about the, the, the history of horror cinema one. Yes. Yes, yeah, I mean, that, that's uh, what I was going to do. That was a really ambitious idea, that, because what I wanted to do was start from the very beginning and just over the years go go through everything. And, it, and it, the way it turned out is that I ended up watching and reviewing everything from, I think it was 1915 to 1945. Yep. Uh, and then some more recent ones. There's some from another blog, which, which focused on my favorite period of all, which is 67 to 75. So you had everything from the likes of Rosemary's Baby right through black exploitation onwards. But yeah, the, the, the early sort of classic period, I, I just watched every mainstream Hollywood movie I could, and commentaries and, and documentaries, uh, when I had the time or more to do it. And I, I got, got as far as actually two-thirds of the way through writing a book about uh, all the horror films that were made in Hollywood through the Second World War. Um, so there, of course, you went from the likes of you know Bob Hope and Cat and the Canary and things like that, right through the Three Stooges, into like Val Luton and, and Bella Lugosi's infamous uh, Monogram Nine, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I guess yeah, I think you guys are you know, you're, you're familiar with the really the really old uh, era horror films as well as the the more modern one. Oh, absolutely! Actually, I just finished watching. Um... Uh, the Thing from Another World, uh, basically what the movies The Thing was uh, based off of with yeah. James Arness. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love The Thing from Another World. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, before we got into Sacrilege, I was hoping maybe we could get a little bit of a background on you. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I went to drama school and trained as a, as a classical actor, yeah. like a lot of actors do in, in Britain. And um, just before I actually went to drama school, funnily enough, um, Whenever I watch a Friday the 13th film, it always sets off kind of nice memories for me. Because before I went to drama school, I was actually in America as a summer camp counselor. Oh, wow. <laughs> a place called Camp Starlight, um, about six miles from the New York, Pennsylvania board. I was a drama counselor there. So those kind of films always set off happy memories. And that's my first association with America uh, and uh, American kids of my own sort of, sort of age, you know. Um, and then once I'd graduated, I did what a lot of our actors do, which is that you start to sort of 
works your way through different kinds of work, uh, commercial, TV, yeah. and, and um, all those kind of things, theatre, and, um, and then got forward to about, when I was about 40, about 10 years ago, I then started to branch out into doing a lot of voiceover work. Yeah, notice, so for, no, sorry, go ahead, finish. Hmm. No, it's there for the last decade. That's, that's principally been what I've been doing in the as, as a kind of day job, as it were, um, in, including things like video games as well as uh, corporate or people industrial, so in the sort of corporate films. Yeah, you have quite the uh, resume of credits there. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's good. It's good fun, and it's um, and sometimes you even get to uh, you even get to you know you show your your, your love of, of various kind of influences mm. like like. Uh, horror. I mean, uh, there's, there's a series of games I did for the Xbox and uh, the PS4 called um, How to Survive, which is uh, their zombie survival horror games. I got to do the, the voice of the Russian owner of the island, uh, who leads the game player through these various tasks, not revealing that he's more of an evil puppet master. <laughs> you know? Nice, I have to check that out. So Yeah, that, 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 good, good fun. So, um, what made you want to get into, like, was it, was it theater you were interested in? Were you interested in TV or movies? I think principally movies. That's yeah. what I grew up with. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, um, my mum used to take myself and my sister every Saturday morning to a local cinema. And while she did the shopping, we would, we would watch uh, what were called Children's Film Foundation movies. Over here, there was a, a fund where they allowed young filmmakers to make films. And on a Saturday morning kids show, you'd have lots of short films and cartoons and whatever. So I think my whole time growing up, uh, I was just immersed in movies. That was my first love. Um, I trained in theatre. And, and and still have a, a great love of it, but I think movies first and foremost have been my my, my passion, yeah. uh, and which is why where I am now with how things are developing is is particularly exciting. Yeah, I noticed I noticed you toured toured a lot with um with children's theater, especially uh, what caught my eye was uh, the Edinburgh Festival with Much Ado About Nothing. Um, yeah, I was, that, I was, that was. Uh, that that's a um, that was a that was an interesting production because um, two of the actors who from from the production with myself also uh, they've they've made moves in the industry. I mean, for example, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a, a British actor called James Darcy. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, James was in, was in Much Do About Nothing with me. Oh, uh, he was under his original name of uh, Simon Darcy back when he was a student at uh, Lambda. He was in that and. Um, Patrick Ballady, who went on to uh, Ricky Gervais's second season of um, of The Office, oh, yeah. Ricky Gervais, as as Neil, um, David Brent's uh, boss. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. That was my first uh, time at uh, at the Edinburgh Festival uh, doing doing Shakespeare, and uh, that was lovely. Yeah. Nice. yeah, I've been there. See, I've been to Edinburgh during the festival, and it is absolutely amazing. And I was I was curious, kind of like what that atmosphere was like, you know. Um, oh, it's, it's nuts. I mean, we, we, we got to see it very much like you did. I mean, it's, it's three weeks of, of just intense promotion and going and seeing lots and lots of different shows. Were you there as a performer or were you there uh, just, you know, as a, as, a, as a fan and tourist seeing lots of shows yourself? So uh, we actually, we went two years ago with my family. My wife and I had been about seven or eight years ago, uh, but this time we, were, we actually stayed, we got a... a Airbnb right on the Royal Mile, right outside Edinburgh Castle. Oh yeah, yeah. So we we got to hear all the concerts, 
basically right outside our window and just just the atmosphere is amazing unfortunately we weren't able to stay for the tattoo which is a bucket list of mine uh oh, right. yes um but no it's, it's my favorite city in the world i was just i was i was excited to hear what your experience was with that yeah i mean we, we were lucky in the sense that uh we got to do our show uh early in the day i think ours was about that, maybe 10 o'clock in the morning, something like that, which of course is great because then you've got the rest of the day to go and see uh, everything else. And I was going to see, you know, sometimes uh, must be like half a dozen shows a day. Yeah. Uh, that was where I got to see, I think the year I was there, the, 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 the world, world premiere of the first stereo print of the Razorhead. Oh, wow. That was, that was, a, that's the first time I'd even seen it. And that was, that was a, that was a heck of an experience. I was reminded of it recently, actually, the other day. I went to see um, uh, The Lighthouse. I don't know if you guys have seen The Lighthouse yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it reminded me of that, you know, the, the monochrome photography and, and the, 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 the intensity of it. This, this is, at times, it was. It reminded me of that uncomfortability that, that uh, Eraser had, had the first time I saw it. Um, mm. But, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, the, whole, the whole festival period that The Fringe is a three-week madness of, of, of you know everyone's got a show out there everyone's wanting to promote it you'll do anything you can to to get your your production done because the, the year that we did much ado about nothing uh it was the same summer that kenneth branner brought his film out of, of the same the same show and there was three other productions of the play out there that year so that makes it even more intense i mean you, you know, it's it's one of these things where you'll you'll, you'll manufacture uh, quotes to put onto your posters. If you get a really bad review, you'll find a way of of kind of extracting from it something that looks like a good review just by judiciously editing it. <laughs> yeah. Out of context, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever it takes to get your show seen, you know. And, and um, yeah, that that's that was a, a great experience. And and one of the few times I think in the in the years that I've really managed to to uh, have a um, a really great experience intensely doing a, a, a theatre production like that. I'd love to go back one year, just as a, as a, as a tourist, as a fan, to see other shows, much less as a, as a performer. Oh, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, the, we, there, was, there, had, there was so many people from the last time we went. We got, it was like right in the middle of the festival. Um, yeah. It's just tour, tourists everywhere coming off by the boatloads, trainloads, whatever. Um, sorry for, for the residents of Edinburgh because they must hate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what though? But they they were extremely nice. All the places we went, restaurants, like little pubs, they were amazing. Yeah. Um. So it looked like you went on to do um some British soaps uh, like uh, Coronation Street and Emmerdale, where you played a, a few different roles. Yes, I mean, did, did, I don't know, through the likes of, um, I know you've you got like BBC America that shows a lot of British stuff, but are you, are you are, are Americans aware of things like Coronation Street? Honestly, not really, no. No, it's, I mean, it's actually the world's longest running soap, it's been going since 1960, um, but it, it's, it's very, very English, mm -hmm. very northern English. Yeah. I mean, where I am in England, I'm from um, Sheffield, which mm -hmm. is not that far from, from Manchester, which is the industrial city that, that Coronation Street is set in. And uh, there's an actor in the show, um, Bill Roach, and I think he has the record now for, for the longest, the world's longest continuous playing of a part. I mean, he's been in the show literally since 1960, since wow. the show began, which is, which is ludicrous, really. It's, just, it's insane. Um, but yes, I mean, I mean, uh, soaps, like, soaps in Britain are very much like they are in America. Mm -hmm. 
know, that they are, I think we're, nowadays we're at the, the point where we're doing them, I think, aren't a lot of your folks um, sort of five-day-a-week kind of broadcasts? Yeah, yeah, during uh, like the afternoon, five yeah, days a week, we, like uh, what do you, General Hospital is right, a, a yeah. big one. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with General Hospital. Yeah, um, you the, the, the names of the the, uh, the biggest shows. Yeah, we used to the, the soaps here used to be kind of once or twice a week, and then they ramped up the schedule so that now I think most of them are, are five nights a week, if not going into the weekends as well. And it's how a lot of actors in Britain, um, you know, get started and, and make a living is by is by doing that. It's because they shot very fast. It's a great way of learning your craft. Um, there isn't time to sort of sit around and you, you learn camera technique that way, which is a fantastic one. Right. It seems like a good learning experience, but a very uh, rigorous schedule. Yeah, particularly now. I mean, last time I was in it, I mean, I was talking to one of the uh, principal cast and she, she took out her script book and it was like a, a phone directory. <laughs> and all the pages are in different colors. Uh, you know, you could find yourself you know, colliding on the stairs with one crew shooting one seat with another crew from another episode and you might find you do one sequence from one scene one day a different episode in the, in, you know, the afternoon and perhaps they're going back to it the, the following day so it's very good for learning things like continuity I, I found that's been a real benefit uh, being able to shoot a film completely out of out of its you know, continuity sequence and then come back to it later you get used to the, the, the sort of jigsaw puzzle of how these things are shot so um, now we have a movie coming out. It's coming out March sixth. Uh, Sacrilege from uh, Bad Bad Blood, I believe, is the um... yeah. yeah the... Bad Blood is a brand new uh, English studio, British studio, based in the, in, in the southwest uh, here, and it's uh, the brainchild of, of the producer Mark Kenner yep. and the writer director David Creed, mm-hmm. uh, who wanted to they wanted to create a studio that was one that they could have real control over and and produce films in what they call a script-to-screen model, where they control it from, from uh, the writing of the movie to all the stages into post-production to, to release, and have as much control over it as, as, as possible, uh, very much along the lines of the old British Hammer uh, studio, and also in America, of course, uh, Blumhouse, and the, the model that they set up. Yeah. yeah, I think that's important to have more control and less studio interference mm, yeah so yeah, and, and, so, it's, so can I, no I was, I was gonna say uh, so it was basically filmed I, I read it was filmed in uh, like West Yorkshire like the Leeds area uh, no no it's filmed in the southwest south um, okay. it's uh, yeah I mean it's where the where Mark and David are, are really both from is, is the sort of the, the southwest of Wiltshire um, uh, area and um yeah, and, it's, and, the, and the, the crew itself also came from, from the southwest. The actors are from different, uh, different places. Um, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, the, the, the idea behind it say, is to create a new model for the, for the industry and, and really to, to showcase the, the talent that they have and that they can corral together and create almost like a rep company mm-hmm. feel as well, one that has a lot of, uh, like, diversity in it, uh, Sarah Smither, who is the, the director of photography on Sacrally, is the first female director of photography I think I've worked with. Oh. Um, and it's, uh, it's exciting for them because uh, Mark's background as a producer is he's a senior sound designer with, uh, with old 
So he's worked on a lot of uh, films of all levels, right up to the biggest kind of Hollywood blockbusters. His, his uh, IMDb credit list is, is immense. And David, uh, David Creed, the writer-director, he's, his background was from um, the world of shooting commercials and uh, industrials and corporates. He won awards for, for the, the for big brand for commercials that he's done. I suppose in, in, in terms of a comparison, I suppose he's someone, in, in a way, a little bit like George Romero in that respect. Yeah. You know, his, with his company, Latent Image, when he was doing um, corporates and, and, and commercials and, and, and used the space developed from that to then go into, into the, the movie world as well. So that's really exciting. So you play Father Saxon, these, the, <clears throat> the evil cult, cult leader. Now, did you research yeah. any specific cults to kind of prepare for the role or...? Well, weirdly enough, I've always been interested in cults ever since I was a, a teenager. I'd studied all of them, um, particularly the, um, the the American ones, the likes of people like um, uh, Reverend Jim Jones, Paul, Paul Jones, uh, uh, David Koresh, um, the Children of God, all those sort of cults. I, I was fascinated by it as a, as, a, as a teenager from then onwards and, and watching documentaries of, uh, about them. Um, so in terms of that kind of mindset, uh, I was I was familiar with some of the kind of the, the tropes, some of the rules of how cults operate. Um, in terms of this one, the, the the research that I did was probably really in terms of the the goddess Mabon, who is the the pagan goddess that we worship. And um, it was studying the background to to her and what she represents, because the movie is very much steeped in this in this kind of ancient law. Um, I think probably. A, uh, comparison might be for, for horror fans um, if you like the likes of say Midsummer or uh, The Wicker Man it's the really ancient evil uh, I, there's, there's, there's hints as to uh, who we worship and um, the the young women who, who come into the, the, the community they are very much modern day outsiders who come into our world and and they're embraced. They're, you know, we, we, we want to be good hosts for them. But what they don't realize is that they're now on our territory and their, their uh, acceptance into the community, this kind of poverty spirit, they, uh, they soon learn that, that the intentions that we have are, are far darker than, than might be expected. Uh, and more than that, I really can't say. <laughs> but it... it, it Plays into it plays into fears. Everyone's everyone has those strange fears and phobias, and the movie plays within those uh, within those deep dark fears that everyone has. It burrows into into the, the mind in that way, uh, and in the course of the movie, yeah, we we we're able to tap into supernatural a supernatural gateway to, to tapping into people's fear. <laughs> right, yeah, that was definitely one of the most interesting parts of the uh, the trailer, the whole face your fear thing. Yeah, it's part of the advertising campaign as well, actually, that, that was that was thought up. I mean, in, on the likes of uh, Twitter and Instagram, there is the um, what are you afraid of? Uh, every day, uh, what the, the, the company, what they're doing is, is, is it's really uh, allowing people to explore each day a particular fear, whether it be a fear of children or blood or anything that that, that, that is a, a, a peculiar sometimes quite common fear that, that, that people have and uh, we're inviting people to send in their, their feelings as to what they're 
their greatest fears are. And uh, through them, they can win tickets to the, uh, the the premiere that we're doing is coming up on uh, March the fifth here in in, in uh, London. Nice. Uh, as well. It's capturing the imagination of, of uh, you know, engaging with fans in terms of what are you afraid of, and uh, that's going to be exciting to see uh, how that manifests itself as well. What are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? I think I'm, I'm probably afraid of death, uh, as, as, as a lot of people are. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's it's, nice. it's quite tricky, really. Um, how about you? What what what, to, what what do you what do you both find your your fears are in life? Honestly, well, well, that that it's not death so much. It's the fact that it can basically happen at any point. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I have a horrible fear of drowning. Okay. <laughs> pretty bad way to go. Yeah, I would say uh, heights. Heights. Yeah. Or not necessarily heights, but falling from heights. Yeah, I'm the same. I think. Um, yeah, if I'm if I'm uh, the top of a building and, and there's a thing of um, going close to the edge, or it was I was it was in it was it was in Boston where they have that enormous tower where the Hancock Tower where you can stand um, and you can there's a there's a level of it which is glass. Yep. So you can stand on this level and look down through the glass, and that's that's really unnerving because you think well, literally, I can see below me what I could how, how far I can fall. <laughs> you know, it's just a layer of glasses separating me from instant death. That's a that's a, that's a pretty bad one. Yeah, that's an yeah. In, intense feeling. It's it's a very beautiful view, but yeah. it definitely. I mean, oddly enough, we were actually. I mean, we're in the Boston area, and that that building has always been one of my favorite buildings since I was oh, a little fabulous. kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. It, it's weird because I have no problem looking down. But I can't look up. Mm-hmm. If I'm really high up, like say if I go to the theater and I'm in the balcony yeah. and I'm near the ceiling, I can look down all day. But the second I look up and see the ceiling, I have to grab something. It, it's weird. <laughs> that is weird. So you, the Boston, that's, that's fantastic. I, I spent um, yeah, I spent a couple of days in Boston. I went to um, apart from going up that, that particular tower, I went to uh, to Harvard for the day. Yep. Uh, because with with me being from from Britain, of course, and, and with Harvard being based on Oxford. I'd been to Oxford when I was a student, just looking around. So I was fascinated to go to Harvard, actually walk around the quads, and I thought, yeah, you can see you can see the influence uh, on on uh, on Harvard of of, of uh, Oxford. Oh yeah, most definitely. Uh, hmm. No, a, I like I like as a town. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a beautiful beautiful campus, and Harvard Square. I mean, is definitely a. I mean, it's a place of its own, really. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so what led you into into uh, setting up the, the podcast? Is it purely the love of film and wanting to talk about it and, and share that with your fellow fans? Yeah, it was definitely the, the love of horror because on my commute into work, I've been looking for a good podcast to listen to. And a lot of the horror podcasts I'd come across were basically people complaining about what they don't like about movies and trashing on movies. So I was like, well, why don't we do something where we talk about liking the movies that we're talking about? Yeah, I don't know about you. But I, I, I mean, um, one of the things I, I love, even when it's a, a film is, is bad, I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm complaining about it, there is, there is still a pleasure in that. Um, you know, I, I, there's nothing I like more than, than to watch, <laughs> think about, uh, uh, for example, Ed Wood's film. I absolutely have a Plan Nine from Outer Space. Yeah, and I, and I love it because of its flaws. And you know, there's, there's, it's nothing but flaws. 
but there's something I think genuinely weird and eccentric about about that guy's work and, and his particular way of writing a script. Nobody ever wrote a script like like Edward. Nobody, no one's dialogue ever sounded like his. Right. Um, and and uh, or some of the really awful black exploitation movies. But there's, I think mean, it's, it's a pleasure to be had in, in dissecting those as much as as much as just expressing the sheer the sheer love of it. I think I don't know if you guys agree with this, but I think horror is in a really interesting place at the moment in terms of where it's going with filmmakers. Oh, I agree, hundred um, percent. It it seems like it's starting to make a big big comeback. Then it seemed to have a lull for a little while where they weren't really coming out with a whole lot of good good horror movies. Well, I feel like studios yeah. are starting to realize right. that it's a lucrative genre and they're taking yeah. it more serious. So that definitely helps. I think with, with, with filmmakers like um, Jordan Peele and Ari Aster, who I'm, I'm big fans of, I, I love the way that they're tapping into essentially modern fears. Mm-hmm. You know, using it, finding ways of slipping in yeah, modern concerns and fears, whether it be racial inequality or, or just the, the, the shift of things in society. I think it's a great way of dealing with, with modern, modern fears and modern concerns. Um, yeah, I think it's in a, it's in a really interesting, a really interesting position uh, these days. Yeah, no, I, th- I definitely think the future for horror is is looking really good. Mm. Yeah, especially when you look back at, um, I mean, I, I think in some ways my least favorite period, probably for uh, the genre, is probably the eighties. In some ways, I know there's some great, wonderful individual movies, you know, like American Werewolf in London and The Howling and things like that. But often when I think of the eighties. I, I always end up thinking of, of the, just the sheer wealth of sequels that came out. Um, you know, I was watching recently, over December and January, the whole of the Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street franchises, even up to the, 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 the recent sort of remakes. And, um, yeah, it's good that there seems to be a little less focus on that, more, more of a search now for, for new interesting ideas as well to explore. It's a very individualistic takes on, on the world yeah. right well that was the problem with the 80s uh video cassette and home studios became a big thing so all these horror studios were just churning out movies it was more about volume than quality yeah i think you, you put a posting up um recently asking me what what fans thought of the the remake of nightmare on Elm street yeah that was that was that was me it was so a couple of my buddies actually asked, like, you know what, you should you should try and watch it again objectively, you know, just try to think as if the previous films didn't exist. So that's what I that's yeah. what I that's what I tried to do, and it definitely wasn't as bad this time around. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't a terrible movie, but I was just curious, like, what you know, what other other people what thought about it, how the difference in how Jackie Earl Haley played uh, Freddy Krueger as opposed to Robert England. Because mm. you know, I watched it uh, only about two weeks ago for the, for the first time, uh, because I I've got a res- resistance to watching a lot of um, a lot of recent remakes, but I found that my mind's been changed by the ones that I've seen. Yeah. Um, not only by that one, but also I was I was really impressed, strangely enough, with Marcus Nispel's remake of Friday the Thirteenth. Um, the, the quality of, of uh, actors that they had, the quality of production, the cinematography is in some ways is, is uh, surpasses the original. And like you said, I, I was thinking to myself when I watched the remake of um, Nightmare on Elm Street, I wonder what I'd think if I'd never seen the previous franchise. And this is the first experience I'd had of it. Right. One of the things I liked about it was I really liked how they suggested the idea that, that Freddy was potentially innocent. 
Yeah, no, that 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 threw me off because I hadn't seen it since actually the DVD had come out. So it's been Mm. ten years since I've seen it, and then so it was that scene where the I think his name was Quentin. I think was the main male character, and he's talking to one of the parents, and he said, "You know, you guys, you guys burned alive an innocent person." I mean, obviously they found out later on. You know, they found his little hidey hole, but I I was I was like, you know what? I'm like, wow, that's like that's really that's a different take. And, um, yeah, I think well, they, didn't, they didn't fully commit to that because yeah. I was uh, when they when they suggested that I thought no, that's an interesting idea. What if you take a guy who is hounded by vigilantes, who of course have, have got every opportunity to be as wrong as they are right? Yeah. What if they hound an innocent man to to, to to death, and somehow supernaturally he comes back, and um, his is the vengeance of a of an innocent man? wrongly accused. I thought that was a really interesting angle. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I, I had disagreement with, with David uh, Reed about it, because he, he felt that he, he loves the idea that that, um, that Freddy is the personification of clear evil. Right. Uh, I, I, I thought it'd be, it would have been interesting if, like I said, if, if he's an innocent man, and, and it, it, to me it would give it a really unusual edge if they'd committed to the idea that he, right. he was an innocent man. Um, but other than that, yeah, and, and I think it was interesting. The way he played Freddy, I thought, was, was interesting. It made it his own. Uh, I'm, I'm right in thinking that, uh, that Robert Englund is coming back to do another um, a reboot, I think, isn't it, of the, of the series? Well, he just recently said that he's he's a little too old to, to play the character, but I know mm-hmm. that he, um, like, if they were to do another movie, he... He definitely wants to be involved, like whether it's you know a cameo, like or... a cameo here or there, you know, some yep. to to give the fans something, which I think would be great. And I know he'll come up with something that's, you know, definitely worth it. Yeah, it was. It was the, I read his autobiography recently, uh, which was a really nice piece of work. Uh, you know, he's, he's he's humble, but he he loves, the, I think, the, the convention side of it, and yeah. and um, and one of the things that I was reflecting on, I was thinking about. Playing Father Saxon, sacrilege, who is who is actually a character you see little of. And I remember that in, in his book, uh, England pointed out that, that Freddy Krueger is only actually in the first Nightmare on Elm Street for nine minutes, which you know, it's it's you know, it's, kind of, it's incredible that, that that a character has so much of an effect in a film by hardly being there. It's a presence that, that haunts the film, but doesn't need to be overused. Right. Um, yeah, the, the the first one of that series is definitely probably one of the one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. And then they kind of turned they kind of turned it into more comedic as the series went on. But, yeah. But but that yeah. original that original was definitely and still is one of the one of the freakiest movies I've ever seen. It's funny, isn't it? As well, have sometimes what looks like. Um mistakes or, 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 or I don't know, imperfections in some way or, or inadequacies can, can really make it work. I remember within the, uh, the uh, what's it called, Never Sleep Again, you know, the big documentary they did about it, and the, the effects guys were saying how uh, they, you know, they could kick themselves because they really hated the, the, the sequence where you see his shadow down the alleyway and his arms long gate yep. to, to scratch the, the walls and they said oh we really hated that we wish you could have redone that I think that's one of the, the most amazing moments in it because it's a, a real somehow I think your brain is seeing it as a real effect rather than rather than VFX and right. there's something I think really <laughs> creepy about the real effect of that the, the, the nightmarish quality of the of these of these elongated arms suddenly uh, appearing like I think it's a fantastic well yeah that's a 
probably one of the benefits of working in a movie about dreams, the way your mind plays tricks on you and intensifies those fears in moments. Yeah, and it's it's funny thing, isn't it, that, that uh, when Wes Craven wrote it, it's the probably the first the first time that anyone's ever really addressed the idea of of, of what what is uh, a means of attacking you at your most vulnerable through through sleep. I don't think anyone had ever really dealt with that before, have they? As as a, as a means of a of a villain actually attacking his victims, taking them at the time when they are at their most vulnerable, who's uh, more vulnerable than, than when they're in sleep. You know, no, it, it was, and my uh, I remember my daughter had a hard time sleeping. You know, she would wake up with bad dreams, but she was interested in the horror like genre because she's she'd see I'd watch Friday the Thirteenth movies, and then she's she's like, oh, she's, I'm kind of interested in this Nightmare on Elm Street, this Freddy character. I'm like, you cannot watch that. I, you have nightmares <laughs> on your own, you know. <laughs> But isn't it isn't it funny though that, that as we're led to believe it that, it, that uh, particularly in America I think to some extent over here there were the the toy companies were marketing things like Freddy gloves and things to what must have been child audiences. Oh, I had a pair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean it's especially around Halloween. Yeah, the the horror oh, yeah. genre definitely markets children for Halloween costumes. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was 10 years old walking around, you know, the, the streets of, like, my, my town with my Freddy hat and gloves and sweater and never thought anything about it. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> but going back to the thing about um, the, uh, the idea of tapping into where people are most vulnerable, I think one of the things that I loved about The Exorcist, I think it still resonates for me today, is that it's... It, it's in the same way that, that Rosemary's Baby does as well, it, 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 it's the idea that, that you you can take horror out of the idea of it being something where you've got traditional tropes like there's a haunted house and everything takes place at night, and it, it's, it only happens in the most unsavory places like a haunted house or a graveyard. Suddenly you're seeing horror taking taking you into territories or affecting you in territories that it's not supposed to, like the idea of, in The Exorcist that it comes into a family home. The devil appears in a family home and it possesses a young, innocent girl. And no, nobody's more vulnerable than, than, than in their own home. And suddenly the, the ancient devil is, is, is attacking people in the most sacred, vulnerable place, what, you know, the, the, the family home. It's, it's, it's an awful, that, that, that's one of the reasons why that film particularly resonates Right. Yeah. Originally, when I saw that movie, I definitely connected to that. But now, rewatching that movie, it's kind of gives me the fear of, like, oh my God, maybe my children are possessed by the devil, and that's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With, with, with me not having children, that's that's I suppose a fear I've never had to to kind of tap into. But yeah, it must be the case that for parents, you must see that from a. From the, the, the that personal perspective as well. Mm. Oh yeah. And I, you know, there was also that myth where you know children, children and animals, I think it was, could like see things. I don't know if that that's something you've ever heard, but I remember when my daughter was an infant, you know, she'd just be kind of staring past me, and it, it always made me wonder. It's like, what, all right, what, what's there? What's what's possibly uh, coming? Yeah, they do say that that, that um, yeah, that, that children. And animals are, are open. They're more open than, mm. than, than, than the more cynical adults of ourselves. And, and uh, yeah, that's 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 uh, that's fascinating. It's only a few years ago, actually, that I got to see the um, 
you know, the, the, the famous uh, spider walk sequence, you know, where she comes down the stairs in sort of a, the inverted crab formation. Oh, yeah. Down the that was amazing to, I mean, I've seen the film so many times when I was younger. I mean, in Britain, you see, we, one of the things that's this kind of odd, and Americans, I suppose, don't really, don't really get this, you weren't, you weren't sort of limited by this, but we had a period in Britain, uh, what we call, called the video nasty era, where a lot of films were, were banned. When, when home video first came out, there was a big list of movies, um, like 40 and 70 of them maybe, that were outright banned. Uh, and so kids and, and teenagers never got to see these films for years, and The Exorcist was one of them. In Britain, we had a period that was called the video nasty era. Uh, this was an era that will be unfamiliar, I think, to most American uh, horror fans. It's a period when, after Britain first had the home video revolution, it turned out that all the videotapes that came into video shops in Britain were completely unregulated. Unlike the cinema where you have the rating system, anyone could watch a home video of any age. So initially for the first few years, it meant that teenagers like myself, young teenagers, were getting access to all the most extreme zombie movies and anything like that that we wanted to, providing the video owner let us rent them. But after a while, the government got wise to this, and in 1984 they brought in what was called the Bright Bill, which meant that from that point onwards, there was no more fun of watching uh, what were illegal horror movies and stuff. So uh, what happened is that in the end, every home videotape that came into a video shop had to be regulated by the BBFC, the British Board of Film Classification. So uh, it wasn't quite as much fun after that. Um, what happened is that there was a list of about 70 to 80 horror movies in particular that were banned and that were seized by the police. And if your video shop as a video owner was displaying any of these titles, it could mean virtually an immediate jail sentence. Specifically, it was things like any kind of film that involved uh, cannibals. So that was Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox, Cannibal Apocalypse, uh, any movie that featured zombies. So initially there were problems with things like uh, The Evil Dead, Zombie Creeping Flesh, and Lucio Fulci's Zombie Due, Zombie 2, which we know over here as Zombie Flesh Eaters. Yeah, and so for, for quite a while we had this great period when teenagers like myself could hire all kinds of horror movies. And it still took many years for certain classic horror movies to actually be released officially. Uh, things like The Exorcist, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And these days I think the, the ratings board is a lot more progressive. A lot more films are being passed without any cuts. One issue, though, that I still think the BBFC are a little nervous about is the combination of sex with violence. So if, for example, you have a character who gets sexual gratification from committing acts of violence, whether it be torture or rape, uh, that's something that can still institute cuts. One example, uh, fairly recently, I watched uh, Takashi Miike's Ichi the Killer, and in the BBFC-approved version, they cut some of the misogynistic violence. Just little trims here and there that they, they cut out. But uh, other than that, as I say, it's a much more progressive period that we're in nowadays. Now, have they kind of laid back on that? Are there any movies that are currently like banned there now? I think the censorship over here has changed quite a lot. Um, it's, uh, I think, in terms of, in terms of censorship, I think we're, we're, we're a lot more relaxed than we used to be. I said there was a time when, when video, home video first came out in Britain that um, there was a concern that initially nothing was rated. 
So uh, potentially any family could hire any movie and show it to their, you know, kids potentially. Uh, nowadays, um, I don't hear too many cases where movies are, are heavily cut anymore. I think I think they've recognised that times have changed and people can people can take a lot more uh, in terms of graphic horror than than, uh, than they perhaps used to. So, um, I guess. Um so where where can people mostly find you on your uh, social media? Me personally, uh, there's there's um, on Twitter I'm the Ian Champ, and on Instagram it's Ian Champion Actor. I also have my own website IanChampion.com, um, and um, yeah, then in terms of finding the movie, you've got the Bad Blood Films website. Uh, there's also on Twitter you've got um, there's there's uh, Bad Blood Films Sacrilege Movie Sacrilege Movie underscore on Instagram uh, probably day by day doing a, a countdown as the movie goes into its, uh, into its last three weeks Any word on an American release? Well they're, they're certainly talking to exhibitors about it um, they recently uh, Cineworld the, the British chain they bought out uh, the Regal chain over in the States which uh, I think is like the second biggest chain behind uh, AMC I think it is and so yeah they're, they're talking to exhibitors about an international release uh, America the Far East and so on so yeah all being well uh, we're, we're hoping that will be the case and then uh, yeah it's, it'll be fascinating to see how the movie's uh, profile develops and how the studio develops as well yeah no I'm, I'm I saw the trailer when um Mike sent it to me, and I was super excited, and I was hoping that, you know, we would get a chance to see it over here, and, um... Yeah, I so, yeah. But, uh... I don't know, uh, I guess tell our fans, I mean, check out ianchampion.com, definitely check out your horror blog, um, historyofhorrorcinema.blogspot.com. Thank you. Um, Anything yeah, you'd like to say about the movie? I think if you... It, it taps into deep dark fears that the people have and if you and if you like something that's individual uh something that uh, is new hopefully and, and exciting and uh you know supporting unique new voices in in, in the genre um go out there and, and and support the film uh you know we need more and more individual independent voices uh in, in the movie industry in, in, in horror particularly and um yeah, and I hope that people have a great time watching it. Mm -hmm. no, I tell you, we can't wait. And honestly, I, I, I can't thank you enough for, for doing the doing our podcast with us. I mean, we're yes, super, super appreciative. Thank you. No, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's lovely to connect with, with fellow fans uh, of, of the genre. And uh, long may it continue, yeah. All right. I guess, um, like I said, thank you so much. And... Hopefully we can uh, connect again at some point, maybe after the movie comes out or any future things I that you do. I I mean, if example, it comes to the, the States, it would be lovely to, to, to chat to you again and see and see how horror fans uh, take to it. Absolutely, yeah. Definitely. Well, uh, good luck with the premiere. Thank you. And good luck with the, with the, the podcast. I'll be, keeping, I'll be keeping tabs on your, uh, your discussions uh, on, the, uh, on the, the, the podcast as well. Mm. All right, excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ian. Like again, again, it was a pleasure. My pleasure. Take care. All Take right, care. you too. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right, that just about does it. I think that interview went really well. Great to know that he's a horror super fan as well. Absolutely. I um I read a lot of his uh, 
wrote a lot of his blogs uh, the other day. Um, seems to be more of a fan of the older, older generation back in the forties, like the whole Boris Karloff kind of, kind of era. But you know, he focused on a lot of like the Nightmare on Elm Streets and Friday the Thirteenth as well, which is you know, my favorite. Although I was kind of just kind of surprised that he he's not a fan of '80s slashers, really. Well, he didn't say slashers. He just said mm-hmm. the '80s in general, which was oversaturated with horror. True. Like I said, because of the the dawn of you know beta and VHS, people were just cranking out movies left and right, and I mean that's what happens. Right. No, so that's true. why the '80s does get a bad rap. Is just because there was so much crap. You had to dig through that hay to find the needle. So, I'm excited for this movie. I really hope that they find a way to get it over to us. Yeah, I mean, even if it's like video on demand, like with uh, the VFW movie, I mean, it's getting a small release, but, I mean, we have to drive 40 minutes to go see it. Right. It's kind of a bummer. But, either way, we will be seeing this movie, and we're going to be talking about it in the future, and it was great talking with you. Mr. Champion, a lot of fun. Yeah, we we are more than appreciative of you know giving us the time, and obviously, and as he said, this was his first podcast and our first, our first interview. So check him out, IanChampion.com. He also writes on HistoryOfHorrorCinema.blogspot.com. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Fans of the Dead One. That's number one. We are also on Facebook at. Fans of the Dead. Reach out to us. Give us some feedback. Fans of the Dead podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on um, iTunes. We are on Spotify. Automatic. Hit the like. Subscribe. Subscribe. Send us some comments. Please, feedback. As always, have fun. Be safe. Peace.